from our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Paula Poundstone was one of our first and all-time favorite guests on the big event, dropping by last year before her show on New Year's Eve. I feel like we covered about one-fifth of what I wanted to ask, and she said she had a good time, so I was thrilled when she agreed to come back. Paula Poundstone is our first returning celebrity guest on the podcast. I want to warn you now, as I did the last time, the majority of the big event episodes are clean, but this is going to be an explicit podcast with swearing starting now. Here's Paula Poundstone talking about a recent comedy gig in Arlington, Virginia, where a plainclothes nun showed up in one of the front rows of the theater and took notice of Paula's use of profanity. So as soon as she said it, I was like, I said, oh my gosh, and how many times have I said, fuck now? Yeah. And she said, five. <laughs> and she, so for a while I would like turn, like every time I cursed, I would turn to her and say, sorry. And then at the end of the show, un unbidden, if that's the right word, you know, I mean, I hadn't asked her to do this and I hadn't talked to her directly in quite a while by the end of the show because she felt like a bit of a wild card for me yeah. and I don't want the show to get away from me with this lady sort of <laughs> taking over. But at the very end of the show, she stood up at, and before she wasn't standing, she just talked. Yeah. But at the very end, she stood up, she turned, she faced the audience, and she told them how many times I had said shit and how many times I had said fuck. Poundstone returns to San Francisco in a couple of weeks for another New Year's Eve performance at the Norse Theater, now called the Sidney Goldstein Theater, after the dynamo creator of City Arts and Lectures, who died earlier this year. We talk about her first New Year's Eve gigs in San Francisco, why she likes performing in SF now more than ever, and her 1980s job as a bike messenger in the city. Second warning, Paula Poundstone was very funny from the moment we started the sound check, so I decided to include that in the episode. This one starts very abruptly. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Mussolini. <laughs> um, they took his body. I'm sure you know this part. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and took his body down to like a town square. Yeah. And they hung up him and the other his cohorts. And people hit them with sticks. I mean, they were dead. Didn't matter. Yeah. But people hit them with sticks and peed on them and at things like that. And they they abused Mussolini's corpse to such a degree that his brains fell out the back of his head. Wow. And uh, and I I have only one source on this, which is a, bo- <laughs> a book that I read recently called Mussolini: The Last Six Hundred Days. Uh-huh. Um, and a quick-thinking partisan scooped up his brains and put them in a jar. Uh-huh. And somewhere along the way, he contacts um, or they contact uh, Mussolini's widow, and they say, "We have Mussolini's brains in a jar. Would you like to have them?" And she said. And again, I only have this one source, which is mostly in the last 600 days. She said, I live in a really small house. I don't know where I would put them. <laughs> I just think, oh, no, because here we are in this archival place. I just thought that would be a good question to ask the librarian. Paula Poundstone, that is the greatest sound check in uh, <laughs> podcasting history. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the big event. Welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome back. Oh, thank you so much. So I'm really the first return 
uh, guest. You're the first. You re- maybe retur- fudged that a little bit. Yeah, I'm- first return guest who doesn't work here. Oh, yeah. So if, if you worked in the building, you would not be the first return right, guest. You are the th- you've first. had them over and over. I've again. had them over and over. Um, I think I've only had Durst once, although Will Durst, uh, Heather Knight, the San Francisco City Hall columnist, and I rode every Muni bus in one day earlier this year. Oh, wow. And Will Durst was our celebrity driver. There was one point where we had to get from like the Mission District to West Portal, and we didn't want to take a bus because we had to do this in a small period of time. So yeah. Will Durst came and picked us up. And we picked him and Art Agnes to be our celebrity drivers because we knew they wouldn't push anything political. Art's not running for anything. And we knew they would know city streets and probably drive like cabbies, like New York oh, cabbies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. Well, I mean, I can speak for Durst. He's been here for quite, quite a while. I just, yeah. I love his wife. Oh, Debbie. She, she's, she's delightful. She came here too. She's yeah. such a great person. I, this year I went to the, um, for the first time in many years, I was able to make it to uh, Comedy Day in Golden Gate you Park. You were, yeah, oh, that's yeah, fantastic. and I just had a blast. And I mean, the audience was wonderful, and that's the main reason that I had a blast. Um, but it, 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 but it, it, but I wouldn't have had that. It's Debbie Durst. Yeah, she's just so much fun, and all the people that help put it together they uh, apparently uh, apparently they've been doing they, they've had the same volunteers for many years which is yeah. a good sign about their leader and um and and she, everybody's just sort of knows what to do and all day long she's saying stuff like that's great you're the best <laughs> <laughs> i saw her and will she was the mc at Cobbs. i think it was still called Cobbs, or but it was the old Cobbs, of course, in the eighties, probably eighty-seven, eighty-eight. There's been about ten old Cobbs. Yeah, Cobbs has reinvented itself several times. And I was like seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, but they let underage people in, except I would have to order two drinks, so I would order two mineral waters, figuring that was like the most mature drink you could order. As like, I would still look mature, but not be getting a drink. Yeah, that's very mature. And I remember uh, Debbie Durst brought Will Durst in piggyback. And then he did a political, and I'd never heard of political comedy. I mean, Mort Saul was gone by then, so I didn't yeah. know what was happening. It blew me away. He was absolutely hilarious, and he still is. I saw yeah. him this year. Oh, nice. But, uh, yeah, we're not talking about your New Year's show. Oh, we got to. <laughs> um, I'm New Year's at the uh, all right, the Sydney Goldstein, Goldstein Theater, which is the North Theater. It's the North Theater. Um, and I was there last year and had a, a great time, and it is the best way, I think, to kick out 2018 and uh i i don't know if you want to say welcome in 2019 i gotta say you know for years i've either tweeted or somehow promoted my new year's show as saying you know let's you know welcome in the new year with a certain amount of optimism i have to say i have less optimism this year i i still think it's important to laugh very important to laugh um but i think that we need to uh in fact, we need to laugh perhaps more than ever because I think it's going to be a raggedy-ass year. You think 2019 will be worse than 2018? Yeah, and I honestly, maybe, uh, you know, because I grew up watching Guy Lombardo uh, really thinking that the fact that you're moving to a new year had some sort of transitional merit in your life. Yeah. Like I used to think you were supposed to kiss someone and cry on New Year's. I thought it was like some sort of emotional, that's really the drinking that was leading to that, not real life. But that was sort of the way it was always handle was it made a big difference and that you were somehow going to feel different and it was a a new page and blah 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 mm, i don't i don't think that anymore i i i really i i, I can't uh, 
but I actually believed it for the longest time that there was somehow something bright ahead of us. I, I think there are, I, I walked by a store last night. It might have been a Sonoma Williams. I can't swear to it, but it, it had like holiday decorations. <laughs> I was walking my dog. It had holiday decorations, and it said, um, it, wishing you a happy moment, I think it was. Uh-huh. Wishing you a happy moment, which I thought was brilliant. Because you know what? That's great. Don't low expectations are the key to happiness. <laughs> so <laughs> a happy moment, okay. I feel like can, we can promise that. Yeah. But um, that it may it may end there. But we need to be fortified with laughter. I think. Do you to think move about forward. that? Do you think like my responsibility is getting larger and larger as a comedian to give people a night out where they're having a good time and forgetting about stuff? I think much more selfishly than that. <laughs> It's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> a night of laughter is just, uh, you just feel so damn good. Um, and, and I have to say, I, I, I you know, I've, I've, like anybody else, uh, you know, life has its ups and downs. But, um, you know, I, I go to my job um, in a variety of uh, emotional places over the years, right? I've been doing this for 39 years. And I can honestly say that maybe with the exception of a handful of times when maybe I've bombed or thing, you know, outside of that, um, which has only happened a handful of times in my life, thank goodness, um, every single time I do feel uplifted by the experience. I feel uh, it's a it's a very renewing job. And thank goodness because, you know, the travel and, and, and then responsibilities at home and, and promotion and stupid social networking and all that. Um, you know, are exhausting. Um, But I happen to do a job that is renewing. I mean, if I was a coal miner, which A, I don't have the skills for, but if I were trained to do it, um, uh, I I, I would be exhausted, but I wouldn't be renewed. We we talked last time you were here, we talked a lot about- About coal mining? About coal mining and your years in San Francisco as a comedian. And was there a point then when you're at the other cafe, you're at the Holy City Zoo, how close did you come to not being a full-time comedian? Was that ever an option? And Oh, by that time, no, not so much. I mean, I had day jobs when I lived here. Like I was a what? bicycle messenger. I worked behind the counter at the other cafe. Um, I was a... At one point, I was a temporary worker back when there was such a thing. Remember yeah. when there were temp oh, places? Yeah. I remember temp agencies. Um, yeah, I worked for a temp agency. And during the time that I worked at a temp agency, I worked uh, one day at Blue Cross Blue Shield. And yes, <laughs> you should be afraid. And uh, for, uh, uh, I don't know, weeks or months, I can't remember, maybe weeks, I worked at um, oh the warehouse of a department store that's probably not even there anymore. I've forgotten yeah. now. Um, returning items to the shelf that had been it was after the holidays. It was incredibly depressing. Um, but I worked with my friend Joe Campiolo, who put a word in for me uh-huh. at the temp place. And Joe uh, was, eventually he called himself, what's the name of the comic he used to call himself? Dexter Madison. Okay. But it, his real name, and, and, and prior to his Dexter Madison performances, he was Joe Campiolo, one of the funniest guys ever. <laughs> And in uh, San Francisco, yeah, truly original. He's—I don't think he works anymore, but he's yeah. fantastic. Bicycle messenger. Yeah, I was a bicycle messenger. What was that like? I mean, it was, I, hor- I, it was horrible. I bike commute to work here, and I think I'm like the dumbest forty-eight-year-old guy. You know, I'm—I'm going to die. That's how I'm going to die—is riding my bike into the Chronicle. I, I live in Alameda, and I take the ferry 
and I put my bike on the ferry and then ride from wow. the ferry building here and it's like Mad Max Fury Road every time I come in. Um, well, for listeners so, who don't know, he's in fantastic shape. Oh, so you. it's um, if you fall, you'll probably recover quickly. Okay. Because you know you got that going for you. You know they're not going to find like oh they're not going to they're not going to go in because of the fall and find like oh his ticker's bad. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's been it's been beneficial in some way. It was a terrible job being a, a bike messenger. Um, a, I'm not a great bike rider. Uh, B, I, I'm, I'm, I was too weak to ride up a hill, and too scared to ride down a hill. So I mostly pushed the uh, and and they had these lousy bikes. I remember one time we had like a meeting, you know, one of those employee meetings they make yeah. you go to. And I remember one of the employees complaining that they got their bikes from the Salvation Army. Um, I mean, why would they buy <laughs> fancy bikes? They weren't going to do that. I mean, they, but they were, you know, they weren't like bikes with speeds or anything they were just like single speed no fancy dancy but you they had baskets you know like on the on the front handlebars they yeah. had a basket and mostly what we carried were um blueprint copies which are rolled up so it's like you know like a really really heavy uh a thing of wrapping paper that's what it's like yeah. and um you know you put two or three so it sticks off the end of the um of the basket, I mean, they don't fit in the basket. You would strap them sort of with bungees. You'd strap them onto the basket. They weren't in the basket. And, uh, you know, you might travel with, I don't know, three, four, five of those. Yeah. And so the bike was always ready to go down <laughs> and lose balance. So it was, a, it was a horrible job. Yeah. But I did it. You did it. I did it. Uh, I did it so that I could do stand-up comedy at night. <laughs> but it was fun, right? Uh, do you look back at that time as being a fun period, or do you look at back at it as being hard and, and well, the part of uh, the part of the part of being the uh, I'll tell you what, I, I bumped into Durst downtown one time because there was a bunch of us, all the open micers and the people we we were all open micers back then. You know, we would get the occasional paid job, but largely we were open micers, and um and we were really low on the on the totem pole and and um. We we sort of traveled in a pack a lot of times because none of us had cars. Mm -hmm. We all, um, if one person had a car, then you really counted on them to drive you to another open mic night. Um, and uh, so Durst was one of my one of my buddies, and this was very soon after I got to town. Um, and, uh, I bumped into him. He was working someplace downtown. There used to play, be a place called maybe Wims or Vims or something. What's the street? Is it Kearney that comes to a point? Zim's Hamburger. No, no, I don't think it was Zim's. No, right. it was like Whims or something. Right. I don't think it was. But there was a place that came to a point, and this little diner was on the end of the point. And Durst and I used to meet there for lunch occasionally. Uh, um, you know, we were both dodging our day job. Mm -hmm. You know, taking more time than we were supposed to. To uh, there were blueprints that weren't getting delivered because yeah. I, I was uh, sipping a soda there with Durst. Um, but anyway, so that the the day job working part I don't remember fondly at all. But the it was like I lived two different lives, you know, the nighttime of cruising around with these other comics and and standing in the back of the room waiting to go on and the and the sheer joy of telling jokes that you think are funny yeah. and experiencing people laugh at them. And it was a there was a wildly exper experimental vibe about stand up back then. Um where people really trying to do some different stuff, you know, trying to not be exactly like the guy that went on just before them, and that was fun. I, I look back, and I dig around this archive. We're in this 
basement archive right now. Um, and whenever I look at comedy bills from like 1984 to 87 or 8, it's like every name is someone I recognize. Um, I'm looking right now, at, I was looking at New Year's shows, past New Year's shows, uh, and you had one at the Palace of Fine Arts Theater with Dana Carvey, Paula Poundstone, Bobby Slayton, and the host was Rob Schneider. Yeah, I mean, that's quite quite a night. You know, one of the things that stands out to me about that is um, that there were four acts anyways. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Like nowadays, I don't, one of the things, none of us had that much time. Yeah. You know, so even, even though we were the big New Year's headliners, I, I don't, if you had, if you had 30 good minutes, you, you know, or 20 good minutes, um, sometimes that's as far as you could go and still be good. Uh, not not Dana necessarily, but for the rest of us. Yeah. Um, Dana could go on forever with no jokes at all. Yeah, you you knew him pretty well. You Did you stay at his house? We or were roommates, yeah, yeah. We talked about it last time. We have yeah. a photo of you on a trampoline, I yeah, think, and that's the, right. somehow that trampoline was connected to Dana Carvey. Yeah, it was in the backyard at the house that I shared with Dana Carvey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, it, that was a fun time. Dana has achieved great things because Dana's great. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like I'm really good at, um, at my job of being a stand-up comic. But I'm never going to be like a big movie star or a big star of anything. I'm, I, because I've been doing stand-up comedy for 39 years, I've had a lot of, uh, I've had a lot of waves wash over my rocks by now. And they're, I'm, you know, I, can, I can deliver pretty good. Um, but, uh, but it was clear that Dana was just going to be huge. Yeah. Um, as he was, he is. I, I listen to your podcast. Thank uh, nobody, you. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. <laughs> I'm, right. I guess I'm the listener. I'm enjoying it. Uh, Jesse Thorne is, I heard the Jesse Thorne episode. Oh, yeah. He's like a podcasting Yoda, except he's like 28 years old. He has. A, he's helped me out and helped out everybody who wants help with podcasting yeah he uh, sort of saw the po- he saw he saw the possibility of podcasting i think before other people yeah he's the head of maximum fun and um and you had a podcast on npr and that was kind of short-lived and then i like this one way better it's oh like it that's fits nice your to comedy. hear the, the um the original one was um live from the poundstone institute and we yeah. did it in front of a live audience which is costly and basically, the the endowment costs were were killing us. Um, you know, we did it, it was all NPR engineers, and it was a, it was an expensive show. Um, and what we do now is uh, dirt cheap. Um, we we are in a studio in North Hollywood, in a section. I mean, all of North Hollywood isn't bad by any means, but we are on a stretch that is like the forgotten. It's it's. It's the early part of Armageddon. Uh-huh. Um, there's mattresses out on the street. There's toilets on the street. One day, I get out of the car, and I stepped in some sort of waste, and I'm still just <laughs> praying it was dog waste. Um, but I, it's possible that it wasn't. Um, and, uh, and so one of our producers had a similar experience. Uh, I'm sure I've seen drug deals done right before my eyes. Uh, it's a really nasty section of town. And there we are in this little studio there. Um, uh, it's me, Adam Felber, who uh, is uh, um, I met doing Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and is a, a good friend of our family and has been for years. And uh, y- y- we bring on a couple of uh, people per show usually to, um, 
to have some information that we can have fun with, basically. We call it a comedy advice podcast. Uh, it's not a celebrity thing. Like, you'll have someone who deals with plumbing and right. talk about all the all the funny things that they found in the toilet, which is great material. I'm not right. making it sound funny, but that's a good 15 minutes of comedy. Well, it's fun because you, you're getting real information. I mean, my original idea, originally, I wanted to do a show about how to move out of your parents' house mm-hmm. so that you learned... All the stuff that you need to know to function as an adult, which, by the way, I still don't know. Um, I, for example, had a a situation not too long ago. My son, although I begged him not to, Mm -hmm. um, when he became an adult, uh, he went out and got credit cards like an idiot. And I told him, don't do it. Don't do that. That's a stupid idea. And what I thought he had done was run up huge bills with money that he didn't have. Um, It turns out that's not what he did. What he did was run up small bills with money that he didn't have. But what happens is they just keep dinging you and you don't pay it. And the next thing you know, you're screwed. I never knew that. I didn't know that because I have never once in my life not paid my credit card bill. It never occurred to me not to pay my credit card bill, whereas it was the first thought in my son's head. But my point is, there's lots of things that I don't know anything about. I have no idea how to read my phone bill. Yeah. So my original idea was that you know you learn to move out of your parents' house, which we're doing for the rest of our lives. It's not like you know it all happens one day. Um, but we sort of uh, we, so that's why I wanted people. Uh, although it would be fun to talk to celebrities too, but that the original idea was um, just the stuff that you need to know to function. Yeah. Uh, so we had a lady come talk. She has a business where they um, they uh, help you eradicate mold from your house. She was so much fun. Yeah. She was so enthusiastic about finding mold. Uh, you know, the bad kind of mold, the kind where you go in the mold registry yeah, yeah. where you're judged. Um, and by the way, I do have mold in my ceiling. It's not my house. I rent. Yeah. But um, in fact, I got to say, I had told my landlord that I thought I had mold in my uh, on my ceiling. And so she came and took a look. And she's kind of a classic cheap landlord. Mm-hmm. And um, she always sends her nephew Nick <laughs> to fix things. And poor Nick is this bedeviled guy that doesn't know how to fix anything. Uh-huh. And he always, he, he, you, you can, he's sort of, uh, he, he's very apologetic. Like, I don't know, she must have naked pictures of him or something. He really doesn't want to do this job, but he'll come and he'll go, oh, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh, jeez. So she brings, you know, like a, a Nick or another nephew. They look at the ceiling. There's, there's mold there. You can yeah. see it. It's black mold. That's it's not like, good, Paula. It's not good. Yeah. It's like the stuff in the second Spider-Man. You know, it's like the black stuff that made him bad. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, that, and that hurt um, Topher... What's Grace. His, Grace, yeah. yeah. Um, That's the third Spider-Man. I, I don't want to... Oh, was it? Okay, I, Just thanks. in case any of our yeah. listeners go out and rent it, I don't oh, want you know them they to will be too. thrown off. Um, and, and they'll complain. All right, so yeah, it was a third Spider-Man. So uh, there's terrible black stuff. There it was on my, my ceiling of my walk-in closet. And uh, so I brought... She looked at it, and she, and she bleached it. That's what she did. She said, oh, you have to bleach. So she bleaches it. And so you don't see it anymore. Um, and so now I have this mold expert on my show <laughs> and i said what are you supposed to do with mold? she said well people think you bleach it that's the number one rule don't bleach it <laughs> oh, no <laughs> so she's very, so we bring on people that are, can be informative and at the same time that is really a fun playground for jokes yeah and we make jokes as we do
uh, and it's fun. Um, it's uh, Adam says all he cares about is making enough money to buy some beers. Uh-huh. And uh, fortunately, all I care about is making enough money for Adam to buy some beers. Okay. So it's not a... Uh, it's not a high profit thing, but no, uh, no. Uh, in fact, it may be a uh, it may be a financial loss. Um, but it is really fun to do, and I hope uh, I hope that people will listen to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. Yeah, very funny. Um, you mentioned that you had nuns at your show recently. I did. I had a nun in the front row in Alexandria, Virginia, and very in the. In the beginning of the show, I don't, you know, I often say to people, what do you do for a living? You know, yeah, you, yeah. you know, I, I often say, where are you from? What do you do? I didn't even get that far in the show before this woman in the front row announced that she was a nun. And as soon as she said so it. So she's not wearing a habit. This is like no, a dead man walking plain clothes nun. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Very much like a dead man walking. Not very much yeah. uh, like that. And, um. So as soon as she said it, I was like, I said, oh, my gosh. And how many times have I said, fuck now? Yeah. And she said, five. <laughs> and so for a while, I would like turn, like every time I cursed, I would turn to her and say, sorry. And then at the end of the show, un, unbidden, if that's the right word, you know, I mean, I hadn't asked her to do this. And I hadn't talked to her directly in quite a while by the end of the show because she felt like a bit of a wild card for me yeah. and I didn't want the show to get away from me with this lady <laughs> sort of taking over but at the very end of the show she stood up at, and before she wasn't standing she just talked yeah. but at the very end of the show, she stood up she turned she faced the audience and she just told them how many times I had said shit and how many times <laughs> I said fuck which I thought was really funny and she she meant it to be funny. And she said the words, or did she go S word and F word? Oh no, she said the words. Oh. And uh, uh, yeah. I, I, and by the way, <laughs> I, I, she didn't come there to to damn me to hell or to tell yeah. me that you know I was doing Satan's work. I mean, she came because she's entertained by my shows. I actually, believe it or not, have a fair amount of clergy at my shows. Really. Yeah, and the only reason I know that is because I do, um, it, you know, it's not exactly a scientific survey, but I do do a lot of, you know, where you from, what do you do for a living? And yeah. that's why I know people say, well, I'm not. What I get a lot is Episcopalian um, minister. Yeah. I get a lot of that. I, you know, and I think Episcopalian is very r oddly religion light. <laughs> it's people who get together in the same building, but I think that it's a little. There's some vagaries to the to the to the it's a Christian religion, but I think it's a little vague. Yeah, yeah. I I don't want to stereotype, but what's the best uh, religious uh, figure to have in the audience for comedy? Do the Catholics <laughs> laugh more than the? <laughs> I'm not certain. I've had the occasional priest, uh, and yeah. of course the occasional nun. Um, I, 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 you know, I mean. No one has ever identified themselves as a born again Christian to me, but I can guarantee you I would have a blast with that. Yeah. Uh, but maybe the born agains don't come to me for just that reason. Do you ever get celebrities? Do you ever see someone out in the audience and go, "Wait, I know you. <laughs> You're so and so on." No, but I just also in Alexandria when I was doing the meet and greet afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, I, I look up. You know, I, when I'm doing I, I after my shows, I usually, um, you know, I have. I have T-shirts. In fact, I have a remarkably soft tri-polyblend shirt with a uh, with a self-portrait on the left <laughs> breast and a memorable quote on the back that I'm very proud of. What's the quote? And, uh, I forgot the quote, <laughs> even though it's memorable. Um, 
it's something it's something about how much I talk. But yeah. um, I, I so I. I sell those things, and I always tell people you you don't have to buy anything at all to come up and say hello or get an autograph or a hug or a photograph. Um, and and uh, so I usually I do close to an additional hour just talking to people after the show. And so I was standing out in the lobby in Alexandria, Virginia, doing just that. And I look up, and there's Mark Shields and Mark Russell. Um, I had not seen them in the crowd. I would have loved, and I'm pretty sure, in fact, I wonder uh, what I had said that night. When I'm in the D.C. area, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to talk about not just politics, but um, the specific broadcasts that I watch, which is, uh, I watch a lot of MSNBC, and my favorite broadcast is the News Hour. Um, and I'll sort of make, because you figure if people live in the D.C. area, they're, they, they're paying attention to this stuff, uh-huh. you know. So, oh, wait, hold on. Speaking of broadcasting on my phone. Hold on. Um, <laughs> no problem. Yeah. I, I don't know that. I think it's, it's not. I think it's the person who dropped me off. I think. Uh-oh, it's, you I answer. Think, go ahead and answer okay, it. Okay, hold on. This is good radio. Hello? Oh, I think I'm too late. I want to mention this is a flip phone. Paula... Yeah. I think it's the person that's driving me around today because I have somebody driving me because I came in from the airport and I've gone to a couple different uh, um, press places. Yeah. And I think it's her probably probably saying that I'm about to miss something. I don't care. Um, Mark perf- Shields and Mark Russell. Mark Shields and Mark Russell were, were, were there. What I started to say was because I, I, I hope I didn't say anything <laughs> bad about the news hour because I love the news hour. And that's really where I'm – I've seen Mark Shields on other things. Yeah. But my favorite night of the week is um, Friday night. Ugh, now on the phone's going to keep right. making that noise. My favorite night of the week on the news hour is Friday night because they do Shields and Brooks. Ah, yeah. And uh, I'm a huge Mark Shields fan. Um so yeah, and 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 Mark Russell, honestly, I had never. I mean, I've seen a few minutes of him here and there, but I never. He used to do those. In fact, I think he used to do like a New Year's special on KQED, no, yeah. on PBS. Yeah. Um, and I've never. I had never. Well, you're working on New Year's. That's exactly right. Norse um, Auditorium slash I, Sydney Goldstein Theater. Right on New Year's, which is a Tuesday night <laughs> in apparently, San Francisco. December thirty first, San yeah. Francisco. I, I, you know, I'm so lucky. The last years, I've my the. I come to San Francisco at at least annually, and um, for the last maybe 15 years, that's been like at least in the month of December, if not New Year's, and it's a fun time to be here. Is that deliberate that you do your, because I, I actually tracked it. Um, again, the wow, archive Wow, you're guy, like a data journalist, I am man. a data journalist. I actually went year by year to see where you were. Uh, you were here f- throughout the 80s, and then through, I think, 92, and then you were gone for a while, and then you came back in 2000 and. Fifteen. You did a Christmas show for a while around yeah, there. Yeah, I and did. Then, I used to do you, the Palace of Fine Arts. Yeah, and then that, then you started doing New Year's again a few years ago. Um, I'm sure you could do a New Year's show anywhere. What, what oh, brought I'm, you here? You know, I have done New Year's shows other places. Um, I was in, where was it? I think Mesa, Arizona for a number of years yeah. for, for New Year's. And um, uh, I... I it's a fine job, and uh, Mesa, Arizona is a lovely place, and I much prefer to be, I don't know, for New Year's yeah. in San Francisco. It just feels right. I, I don't know. If if I had my choice, I don't always have a choice, yeah. but if I had my choice, here's where I want to be. What else do you do while you're here? Is anything left from that makes you feel like San Francisco back in the old days, or is everything new? Not 
re- not re- I, not I mean occasionally I've seen my old roommate and because uh, uh, I, I when I first came here I lived in the Richmond uh-huh. and then eventually I moved into and my first like my first like three places you know, you know what's weird when I look back on my time in San Francisco which which on a timeline is not all that long yeah. that I that I actually lived here but it it has such a big place in my memory. I think part of it was they were such formative years, you, you know. Um, but, you know, and plus I lived in like five different places, which means I lived them about three months at a time. Sure. Um, but I ended up in an apartment on Hyde Street, right where the um, cable car goes by. Yeah, A yeah. couple blocks up from the pier. And uh, so occasionally I stop by there still. Nice. Um, but it's it's... It's been a while. Yeah. My roommate's still there. Oh. Yeah. Still there. Yeah. Well, you, it's the golden handcuff when you got that rent control. R- your roommate's probably paying 300 a month. You can't move. Oh, I think she bought it. Oh, she I think bought she it. she owns that oh, apartment. Oh, wow. I That's think. even better. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. It's not, And it's really nice. It's nice. If you if you sit in the front window. Now, when I lived there, I lived in like a what must have at one time been like a maid's quarters yeah. because there was a um, there was a bathroom down there with a shower. Um, but the um, the the room itself, the way you would have gotten to it was either coming up from the garage of this apartment building, coming up from the garage and you went through these windy wooden steps in the dark, which was uh-huh. a little difficult with luggage. Um, and Or the other way you could enter, and that used a key, the other way you could enter was off the balcony of the kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, if you walked down the end of the balcony, there was a window that, um, th- that this room had. Yeah. And so we used to go in and out that window all the time. That's how we... And you know when I first moved, it's like in a there, Dukes of Hazard thing. Was I never you know, saw the Dukes of Hazard? Yeah, but they would climb in the. And I'm not endorsing the show by any means, but they would go through the window. They didn't have a door; it was welded shut. So oh, they'd yeah, jump through the window there. Yeah, I'm well, sorry, was, I, I, yeah. I, I no, it's a, it's detoured a, you. For those who watch, it sounds like it is very similar architecturally. Um, <laughs> so when I first moved in, you know, you couldn't help but feel that. Anybody could come through that window. <laughs> it, you know, it, inf- it felt a little scary sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah. and I was down. I wasn't in the main part of the apartment. I was sort of down in the bowels, and it was a little dark and scary sometimes. So I first moved in, and my roommate, right away, she gave me a, what they used to call panic button, uh-huh. which they had an alarm system. And uh, she says, you know, keep this down there. And, you know, if anything happens, you push this button, it activates the alarm. I'm like, great. So I, 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 you know, I've always slept on the floor, uh-huh. and so you know, I, 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 before I go to s- sleep at night, I put the thing beside me on the floor, and uh, this is how I was able to sleep with the comfort of knowing I had this panic button and beside we, me. And we should mention this is the Zodiac killer still walking around. For people who are younger, there was a literal <laughs> ser- serial killer sending notes to the Chronicle saying he was going to kill people. By crawling through their windows during this period, so I'm sorry. So, Paula, so there, there, yeah, there may have been good reason to yes. feel so. So, one day, my roommate and I were going to have breakfast together. So I, I come up out of the bowels of my room. I come through the window. I come through the kitchen door, and I still have the um, panic button in my hand. It was on a chain, and she goes, "What is that?" This is after years of living there. She said, "She said, what? What is that?" And I said, "Oh, it's the alarm button." She goes, "Oh." We canceled that years ago. <laughs> oh, no. 
So I had been I'd been using the Dumbo's feather security system. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, I, and yet I managed. That's that's so it's so it's an upbeat story in that yeah, way. Yeah, it's a triumph of human spirit. Um, all right, I got two more things because yeah. Jesse or or whoever is going to call again. Um, first of all, and tell me if it's rude, but you brought out a flip phone that uh, was so old school. I have a flip phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I just wanted to ask you about it. I wanted to get a closer look, get the model. Do you prefer that? I do. Yeah. You know, the truth is I have an iPhone as well, but I don't talk on that iPhone. And the iPhone is a um, the iPhone is a 3, I think. What do yeah. they call that? It's a 3, and guess what? I bought it the day before the 4 came out. Got it. Yeah, so I'm fairly unusual in that regard. You don't have to get to, it out. Leave the I'm phone. Leave the phone what where the hell it is. I did with the phone. That's all right. We can't leave that here. But so that's like a bat phone. That's like your bat phone. What do you mean? You know, the Batman had the bat phone that Commissioner Gordon could call him on. Oh this yeah. This is like yeah. a second phone. No, this no, this phone is the this flip phone. I found it, you guys. This flip phone is the one that I talk on. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, and it's the one that I tell people this is my cell phone number. The other one I don't use for talking. I don't like a. I don't like talking into an iPhone. Yeah. Besides which, it has so many other tasks to do. The only reason I have that stupid iPhone is for tweeting. Yeah. Really. Because when I have a thought, I like to uh, put it up on goofy, stupid Twitter. And you see how far along that's moved all of our lives. Don't you think there's a certain, <laughs> there's a certain delicious irony, if you were the bad guy in this case, to the fact that it's social networking that is how the Russians have attacked us? Yeah. No, I... Didn't see that coming. I mean, everybody loved social networking a few years ago. They they made the social network. It was like, yeah. it's so America. It's so you know the idea that we were all reading shit on our things, and you know just falling for it right and left. I you know I always want to say to uh, Trump supporters that you're welcome back. Yeah, y- you know that this guy he's a con artist. And he's good at it, and he was in league with other con artists that are really good at it. And come back, you know, just just don't worry. But nobody's gonna make fun of you. No, it, <laughs> it happened. It was a thing. Now reset. Now, yeah. Now yeah. Now let's go be Republicans and Democrats again, and um, and we don't have to. I don't, you know, I think the idea that, you, you know, you sort of judge everybody and chastise them because they fell for something. You know, the truth is, I, when I was in Africa one time, um, I was conned out of money. Uh, uh-huh. um, really, actually, more than once. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but because the, there were a lot of, I don't know if there still are, but there at the time where there were a lot of people that really worked over the tourists. Sure. And, uh, and what's funny is when I went to Africa, I bought this shirt that had like a zippered pocket because I was very worried about pickpockets. Yeah. And but when the person got the money from me, they didn't bump into me and take it out of my pocket. They talked me into taking it out of my pocket <laughs> and handing it to them. And I did it and I felt like an idiot and I was really like ashamed and embarrassed. And because later I found out that that w- originally I thought it was a thing, a real thing. And then later yeah. I found out oh no, I was conned. And I said I told it to a friend of mine, feeling really stupid, and she said, "You know what? You paid for really good theater. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we've done. We've paid for really good theater, and now let's get back to legislating and who we are, and and forget about get that guy out of there and get moving. You know, get 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 a real Republican in if we need to. Yeah, 
Well, I... Uh, I mean, I would prefer a Democrat, but in the interest <laughs> of clearly. fair play, you know, at least get a real Republican in. Yeah, understandably. Um, sorry, I, I, I feel like I'm. there's someone out there circling the block. Oh, I so don't you have a parting gift. Not. I got well, something for you. you. So this much. isn't going to be good radio. It's not going to be good podcasting because opening something isn't... I'm going to open a, a you present. You can open it right now. I, here's the thing. I like to... Uh, it's, it's wrapped in... A uh, 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 San Francisco Chronicle paper from the nineteen is it 1958? 1958. That's the second Giants game um, that it's wrapped in. Wow. That's just what I had lying around. I'm sorry. I like it. it says doctor's wife. This is a headline. Doctor's wife has quads in East Bay. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I, I'm hoping it means the muscles. So I'm opening the... I see someone I recognize. There you go. Wow. That is nice. It's a picture of me on stage at the other cafe when I was 10. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a sense of when it is. Uh-huh. The shoulder pads on this jacket, I remember this jacket. The shoulder pads on this jacket are so huge, they obscure the neon other cafe <laughs> com- comedy uh, showcase sign. Yeah. Um, well, that is so sweet of you. Thank you very much. Well, I wanted much. you to have a copy. You just signed one on our wall. And uh, and I've had other comics in here. And when they talk about the other cafe, I've had this happen twice now. They start mentioning you. Uh, Proops and Durst have both, like, associate you with the other cafe. It so, was a big part of, of how I learned to do what I do. I think it was really the first place where I finally said to myself, it doesn't matter that I can't remember anything anymore. Yeah. I'll just say, I'll say what I think of, and and made that okay for myself. Whereas before, I felt like a failure every time I couldn't remember stuff. And I've I've always had this. My son, when he was little, he said to me, "You're like Dory," <laughs> um, and he was right. I have a problem with my memory. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome back. I hope you have a great show at the Norse slash Sydney Goldstein Theater uh, New Year's Eve one show. And I hope you come back again next year. I hope this is like just like an annual thing. Oh, you'll I be l- my first third guest. I love that I- idea. Thank you so much. Don't do anybody else as a third guest before me. I won't. I feel a little territorial now. Yeah, you have that promise. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Paul. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guest, Paula Poundstone. This episode was produced by me, Peter Hartlob. Senior producer is King Kaufman. Executive producer, Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album, Community. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services.